think really the secret sauce that we have is the ability to deliver back clean water. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, we're absolutely unique. You know, in, in the case of a dairy farmer, um, A, they, they might use our fertilizer, but more importantly, we're leasing land from them. We're creating other revenue streams from them. We're eliminating the need to get rid of all their manure, gaining efficiencies for them, giving them clean water, which is of course valuable. Uh, and then we're able to, to typically pay them some sort of fee for, for, you know, whereas they used to have to pay to have the waste removed, now yeah. we're paying them for the waste. We are here to try to explain to you what it is we do here. industry in the U.S. employs more people than Google, Apple, Facebook, and Twitter combined. The most valuable commodity I know of is information. Wouldn't you agree? Welcome into the Green Insider Podcast, powered by eRenewable. I am your host, Fred Davis, joined, as always, by the one, the only, the president of eRenewable, Mr. Mike Niemer. Mike, how are you on this uh, soggy Monday afternoon? Well, I'm dry because I'm inside, but that's <laughs> about all I can say. <laughs> I have a long sleep in here, not hot like normal, so... Uh... Hanging in there, my man. Well, good, 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 good. This is uh, episode number eight of the podcast of The Green Insider, and we're very excited about uh, today's guest, Mr. David Smart, Senior Vice President of Sales for Biostar Renewables, located in Overland Park, Kansas, or more affectionately, the Kansas City metropolitan area. And uh, Mr. Smart, you are a Kansas City native, grew up in the area, uh, went to college outside. We won't, we'll, we'll let you delve into that here in just a little bit. Nor will, uh, as us Jayhawks, uh, hold it against you as to why you decided to go to an inferior basketball school. But we'll touch on that here in just a little bit. <laughs> uh, but you made your way back to the Midwest, and and Mike and I have a slew of questions to to uh, get with you about. Because for one, you know, I mean, here we are, episode number eight of the podcast. But you know, from a renewable standpoint, I mean, we've talked to folks in Texas, we've talked to folks on the East Coast, we've talked to folks on the West Coast. You're the first gentleman we've had on uh, as far as from the heartland uh, of America, as far as renewable side is concerned. So plenty to get to there, but um, a little bit, just go ahead and tell us a little bit about Biostar Renewables, uh, what you guys are about and what you guys are doing over there in, uh, in the Kansas City area. Absolutely. Fred and Mike, thank you for having me on the, the show. And I've enjoyed your podcast thus far and really, really uh, appreciative to be invited to come on today. So, so start with a thank you there. Biostar Renewables, uh, our company dates back to 2007, 2008, when our CEO, uh, angel investor, uh, sort of by uh, electrician by trade turned angel investor, Bill Love, and also my stepfather, full disclosure, uh, work in a family business here. Uh, he invested in a company that had a couple of process patents in the works that uh, basically take waste streams from anaerobic digesters. And uh, we have a process that turns that waste stream into a food grade liquid organic fertilizer. And uh, there's a lot of benefits to that. The fertilizer itself is, is uh, mostly suspended solid. So it's a, it's a liquid product which farmers like because they can run it through their existing drip irrigation lines. And it is certified with Omri as organic. And so uh, we, we really started there in the waste to energy space. And uh, today we operate several plants that are producing organic fertilizer. The other thing that we do that uh, a little bit of our secret sauce, if you will, is that we're able to take the wastewater from those digesters and from that process and remediate the water and, and turn it into clean water, which is clean enough to be discharged into a body of water, a river, a stream. Uh, when we're partnered with farmers, the farmers can actually take that water and, and repurpose it, whether it be irrigation or uh, feeding it to the animals. It, it actually is that clean. Uh, we have a, a video of a, a guy in a lab coat drinking the water. If you oh, wow. looked at the water in a vial, you would think maybe I would drink it. Once you smelled it, you probably wouldn't want to drink it. 
uh, but it is safe to drink. It, it's that clean. So that is really our roots. And from there, we, we expanded into the renewable energy, the more solar and sort of now battery storage space, developing projects across the country. And then in 2013, 2014, we added in an energy services platform, which really started uh, with a trending at the time LED lighting business and and morphed into a more traditional energy services platform. Uh, we say reduce then produce. So uh, be, get as efficient as you can before you go and look to add a renewable energy solution to your building or portfolio of buildings. When you talk about, um, and, and we'll get into the battery storage and we'll get into the uh, the solar, but what exactly, when you say energy services, what all are you guys providing when you talk about energy services? I mean, is, is that does that incl- include the, the solar and the battery storage or are there other things as well? Absolutely. It can include the, the solar and storage, but typically when I uh, think energy services, think uh, Johnson Controls and Honeywell and, and these companies who have really made a living going out and doing a large, uh, you know, paid from savings or performance contracting models. And so they're going into existing municipalities or universities, campuses, and looking for any way to reduce uh, the energy spend, save money, save energy. And typically, uh, those have been awarded via a public contracting vehicle called an energy services performance contract, where you know they say we're going to save you a hundred grand a year. You're going to pay us ninety grand a year. Once it's paid off, the rest is gravy. Uh, we've taken that, and while we do work with public customers and municipalities, um, you know alike, we've really taken that model and brought that to the commercial and industrial world. So um, think anything, energy efficiency, anything that can save your building, energy, lighting, HVAC, building controls, uh, even new roofs, you know, window film. There's a whole, uh, you know, sort of quiver of arrows that we draw from. And, and our goal is to educate the customer, show them what's possible, and then ultimately let them pick what they want to implement and we wrap financing around around whatever solutions they choose to implement for their buildings. Hey, Dave, when you do all that, uh, are you guys like the general contractor on the project and you have subcontractors that you bring in? Or do you have a whole litany of employees that are under Biostar? So that, what's your size? That's exactly right. The, the former is exactly right, Mike. Uh, we, we serve in sort of a GC, uh, sometimes owner's rep type role. Uh, we, we are more of a parts and smarts and financing business. So we do have some engineers on staff that help us go out and accurately identify the opportunities. We model the energy savings. Um, we apply financing to that. And then ultimately, it's our responsibility to work on behalf of the customer to go and find qualified contractors that are not only, you know, fair and good from a pricing standpoint, but, but the most qualified to do the job. So if we give uh, you know, a customer a menu of seven different opportunities, they pick five, we go and get three bids on each of those five scopes of work. And uh, we manage the total, the whole installation process from soup to nuts. So you're, when you're doing that for universities or munis, I'm assuming you're having to go through the RFP process with that municipality, or do you have the interlocal agreement through some buyers cooperative that you're able to use to get around that? It it depends. It's a great question. The traditional ESCO model um, is typically includes some sort of RFI or RFP to select that ESCO contractor. Um, most of our customers have been multi-location CNI customers in that space. So they don't have the same public bidding requirements that the munis do. What's interesting is we ended up getting in with a lot of munis and yeah. actually a lot of school districts because bigger ESCOs like Johnson Controls or, or larger versions of ourselves went got a performance contract for all the ESCO work and subsequently issued an RFP because the customer said, hey, we don't want to just reduce, we want to produce, we want to do solar. And would you go out and select us a solar contractor? So we've had some luck there coming in to 
a larger project as just that solar component. Um, and, and that actually, uh, we have a portfolio of solar assets, about 26 or 28 sites strong. And um, a lot of those sites were developed uh, as a piggyback or a bolt-on, if you will, to an energy services performance contract. The majority of those sites are with schools and school districts around the country. Yes, that's what I was going to ask you. The school districts that are participating with you, uh, are is there a focus in any one state or the multiple states that you're covering? Yeah, another great question. We're absolutely focused. We're headquartered in Kansas City. Uh, that's where I was born and raised and where my family was born and raised. We joke all the time that we live in the worst place in the country to do our job <laughs> because right. ultimately the hot solar states right now are up in the Northeast where you have a lot of deregulated utility markets. Uh, and that makes it a lot easier to go to contract and to sell PPAs. Um, but also we're following state renewable energy, uh, renewable portfolio standards as as states more and more States come out with renewable uh, portfolio standard goals. They're, you know, creating typically an SREC market, state renewable energy credit market, uh, when they do that. And so, what happens? New Jersey is one that is particularly hot right now, where um, they have a transitional renewable energy credit program, a TREC program. It's called transitional because. They expect to release a new program in the coming, uh, you know, probably in the next year or so that will be permanent. Uh, but this program offers 15 year contracted revenue for every kilowatt that you put onto the grid from a solar project. Those credits right now trade for about $200 a credit. So we're actually in a situation where it's pretty incredible with state contracted revenue, when we develop a project in New Jersey, we bring an investment tax credit investor, as well as we're able to monetize that stream of revenue from the SRECs, and that alone is able to finance the project. So any PPA or any monies that you earn actually selling that power really becomes gravy to the project. And so if you can find a commercial and industrial user who needs six or seven or eight cent power and you're getting that value from the srex there's a lot of really creative things we can do uh with with you know that extra income stream as it relates to financing the project and i'm glad you brought up the fact that uh where you guys are located and how that relates yeah, to what's input. going on uh in the rest of the country because where you know in in Again, we know the West Coast is is obviously in dire need of of alternative energy resources, uh, given what we see going on over there. You know, Texas is a burgeoning and and is one of the largest wind producers in the state in the country. Northeast goes like you just mentioned. Where does the Midwest fall right now, as far as just its attitude, uh, just kind of societally towards renewable energy, and just from a business and governmental standpoint? Sure. I think on the commercial and industrial side of things, we're absolutely seeing a big uptick in interest. And our uh, one thing that that it can be frustrating, but I think is in, encouraging for the future, is that we have a lot of people right in our backyard that we've been able to serve from an energy services side of things, helping them reduce. Uh, you know, LED lighting has a two to four year payback no matter where you are in the country. Uh, we're, we've just it's gotten to that point. Solar in the Midwest on a cash on cash basis has a 10 to 12 year payback, sometimes as low as eight years, but, but you don't see a whole lot of adoption at eight, nine, 10 year paybacks. Um, so I think while there is a lot of interest uh, from a legislative standpoint, we're lagging and there's a, a little bit less state incentive to be able to, to drive these types of projects. But you know, I'm a free market capitalist guy, so so I'm okay uh, with the absence of of additional incentives. Frankly, uh, I think that as the technology continues to develop and gains more efficiency, state you know incentive or not, people will start to adopt the technology. Uh, the issue that we have in a lot of the places, uh, a lot of the Midwest, is that utilities basically are monopolies. 
and they don't allow you to sit there and uh, net meter is what we call it, where we're, we're putting energy back onto the grid and we're getting credit for that. So as an example, if you're uh, in a you know municipal owned utility in Southeast Missouri and your customer is paying all in eight cents per kilowatt hour for their power. Uh, oftentimes, if you go and install solar on their roof or on adjacent ground, you are not saving them eight cents. The utility is actually only going to credit you the offset cost of power, which is probably more like between two and four cents. So at the end of the day, you have to make that two or three or four cent offset cost of power that the utility is calculating work for the end user, not the six, seven, eight cent blended rate. And so it all comes down to how much credit are you getting for the cost of that power or for that kilowatt hour that you're putting, even if you're not putting it back on the grid, even if your customer is directly using it in their own shop, uh, the utility has a monopoly and has the ability to say, no, we're only going to give you this much credit for that. In California or in any state where you have deregulated utility markets, the laws really open up and allow a lot more freedom of choice uh, with respect to on-site generation and being able to, you know, ultimately control your own destiny from a, a power consumption standpoint. Now, what about the state of Kansas, though? Because you got Kansas, which has opened, you know, has has uh, you know opened its arms up to the to the, the wind industry. Um, and then I know just from you know being back there and and seeing the the uh, the Evergy. Uh, power company. I mean, it seems like they're on a, you know, they've made a commitment to, you know, embrace renewable energy. Are you seeing maybe on the Kansas side, at least, um, a little more commitment to the renewable side? Yeah, I'll have to um, watch how I phrase this, Fred, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because, uh, we, you know, we, we want to be friends with Evergy and, and all the utilities in our area. Um, you're right. Evergy has uh, particularly... I mean, they've really started marketing and talking about the fact that they're really embracing renewables. Um, I'll give you an example that's a little bit outside of Evergy. Um, we brought a customer into a small municipal-owned utility. Um, it, it actually was in Missouri, uh, but the, the case would be the same, I think, even had it been in Kansas. And we said our customers interested in procuring their own renewable energy on site. They said, well, that's great but you only get the offset cost of power if you do so. And by the way, you don't need to do so because our portfolio is 40% renewable. So if you're looking to make claims about using renewable energy, the good news is you get to make them because our, our utility, 40% of the power that we buy is renewable. Well, that's good and dandy, but the issue with that is that the state, utility is retiring those recs, right? And so so the, every renewable energy credit that's generated is a rec, whether there's a tradable market for them or not. And so the utility is actually retiring those recs. So in the world of ESG reporting, where the rules are, you know, the, the ink is still drying on the first rules that have been written about this stuff. Uh, if I'm a corporate user and I want to go and say, I have cut my greenhouse gas emissions by 25%. And here's all my renewable energy credits to show that I've done that. Uh, that doesn't work in Kansas or Missouri because the utility is actually the one retiring those credits. Now, I am not an expert on this by any means. Uh, I would have to bring in some, some people a lot smarter than me if we want to get a little more into the weeds on that. But, but the bottom line is the utilities are protecting their customers. They're protecting their business by trying to uh, shape legislation in a way that uh, perversely incentivizes on-site generation. Now, in Kansas, uh, we, we had a, the governor flip from, from red to blue in the last cycle. Uh, we're a part of a group called the Clean Energy Business Council here in Kansas that is really active uh, on, on the Capitol Hill and the state legislature and does a fantastic job of keeping everybody up to date. And, and really, uh, for companies like ours who don't have a tremendous amount of resources you know, to, to put towards legislation and lobbying efforts, the Clean Energy Business Council does a great job of that. 
And so I will say in the last year or so, uh, since Laura Kelly had been uh, elected governor in Kansas, there's been a lot of steps in the right direction. And, and we believe that uh, it's only a matter of time. It's not, you know, when it's if, or it's not if not it's if, when, excuse me. Right. Not if, but when, um, you know, will, will there be some more friendly legislation uh, that allows for people to sort of create more power on site and, and control their own destiny. So to, to surmise all that, if I'm just, hey, David, again, I'm just, I'm, I'm, real quick, Mike. So what, so what Go you're ahead. saying is, is that, and again, I'm, and, and I'm just, cause I'm, I get this. It makes a little sense now is that this, these larger utilities are basically saying, Hey, it's all well and good that you want to be green, but why go through all that trouble when we're green already and you can go ahead and take credit for our greenness, essentially? Because we're exactly. going reti- because we're retiring the wrecks anyway. So you know, keep your hand out of that cookie jar because that's for us. And then you know, whatever you know, pebbles we we decide to throw your direction, then so be it. Yeah, and you know, look, I mean, there, it's understandable from a business standpoint. If I go and build customer A. Uh, a solar plant on his or her roof that offsets 40% of their consumption, that's 40% less income that the utility is getting. Yeah. And the utilities have been in a predicament for a long time. And you mentioned uh, California, which is kind of ironic because California actually uh, is not desperate right now for, contrary to popular belief, is not desperate for renewable energy production They've been over-investing in renewable energy production for 30, 40 years, and they haven't been investing in their infrastructure, which is what's causing all these wildfires. Not all these wildfires. I mean, there, there's the, the land management side of things, and then there's the utility side of things, right? So what's interesting about that is that while it's great that California was on the leading edge, I would might argue they were on the bleeding edge, uh, spending too much money on projects, green projects that didn't really make fiscal sense 30 years ago. Um, and maybe some of that money should have been going back into, into their own grid and power infrastructure, which is really, really old and dated. And, and you have a huge issue in the country right now where creating new energy has never been cheaper. And so we're seeing one and two cent PPAs uh, in, in New Jersey. We're even seeing 0.01 cent PPAs in New Jersey because this SRECT is funding the whole entire project. Uh, but the utility still has to get paid for those demand charges for when did you use the power and how much power did you use at that time? Because ultimately, so what, what you've seen, let me just back up a little bit. Back 15, 20 years ago, the actual cost of the kilowatt hour that your business or your house was using was much higher than it is now. It was more expensive to make energy. We've seen that go way down. And so the utilities, as a response, have had to shift the way that they're billing their customers. Whereas, yes, your cost per kilowatt hour is going down, but now the transmission and delivery charges associated with delivering and using that kilowatt hour have gone way up. So you're seeing uh, a big change in the way that utilities bill people because ultimately they still have to make enough money to be able to reinvest in that power grid, which we're using to deliver the power. So you're seeing now where uh, as much as 50, even 60% of your bill is actually the transmission and delivery of power as opposed to the cost of the power. Yeah, who would ever thought the day would come when the energy is the least part of your bill? But today it's kind of becoming that, right? You know, we've been picking on Kansas and Missouri just because you're in the Kansas City area. <laughs> the, uh, the, the situation you described regarding utilities, is that not true in all, almost all 35 of the deregulated, uh, 35 of the regulated states we have in the country? They all face that same similar issue. Or Definitely. Some, it's, it, it's all 35, isn't it? Well, it, that's true. Uh, the difference is that different states have different net metering laws uh, specific to solar or specific to wind. So there are definitely some states that are friendlier, if you will, than others, right. uh, whether they're regulated or not. You know, as an example, um, 
like Maryland, we're looking at some projects right now. The largest size project where you can net meter is two megawatts. So we can build a two megawatt project and anything that goes back onto the grid, we get good credit for. Uh, in Kansas, I may be wrong on this. I believe it's only a hundred kilowatts. Uh, so it's only a, a much smaller, you know, 5% the size of the system that you can build and be able to right. net meter back onto the grid. So, so it, it is a little bit more complex than that, but absolutely uh, the, you know, the states that have deregulated the utility markets, there's a lot more flexibility in what you can do. Most of the folks that we've talked to already have, have you know, they went into the wind, the solar, the microgrid space. You guys are the first ones that have basically come from a different, kind of a different caveat, different kind of, uh, um, oh, I don't know, different uh, modality, I guess you could say, for lack of a better phrase. Where did Mr. Love pivot and say, you know what, even though we are in the Midwest, even though this thing's still on the, on, on the, on the come up, what made them decide the renewable, the solar, the battery storage was the way to pivot to? So Bill is an electrician by trade and Bill um, back in the eighties was actually the first non-union electrical contractor in Kansas city. Uh, and so built a, a nice electrical contracting business was a part of a peer group of a bunch of different contractors across the country. And to make a, a long story short there, they made a decision to roll up all of their businesses into one uh, electrical contracting company and take that to Wall Street and, and, and brought in the private equity group and, and took it public. And so um, that, that was in a way successful uh, in that, you know, I think they all did pretty well financially. Uh, however, the, the entity that was ultimately taken public ended up basically going bankrupt and, and Bill and a lot of his original partners were able to buy their companies back for just pennies on the dollar. And so at that time, Bill bought his company back, which was called South Kansas City Electric at the time. Today, that company is called Elite Electric. I'm sorry, today that company is called Faith Technologies. Uh, and they're one of the larger electrical contractors in the country. They're actually uh, headquartered now in Appleton, Wisconsin. Bill is no longer uh, a shareholder or board member in that company. But at the same time, he bought into a company with a, a friend and partner of his that lived in Denver. And that company today is called Elite Electric. And Elite's a, a great electrical contracting shop, <clears throat> again, headquartered in Denver. And at about probably 09, 10, certainly 2011, Elite really sharpened their pencil and figured out how to go and bid and win these big utility scale solar installations. So, um, one of my colleagues that now works at Biostar used to work for Elite. He was uh, in, I think, 2014. He was building uh, a, a huge, you know, a, I don't know how many, 20 megawatt uh, utility scale site for for Google and Apple and in Maiden, North Carolina, that was powering their data centers. They've done a lot of big, you know, really big installations for the likes of SunPower and, and some of these other large utility scale developers. And so that definitely caught Bill's attention and, uh, and, and got him interested in the solar space. We also have a strategic partnership uh, with a company that I don't know if I'm allowed to mention on here, so I'm not going to say their name, <laughs> but, okay. but basically they are, uh, they have a lot of tax credit appetite. They're a, a commodities uh, trading business. They're in the pork business. They're in the grain business, have a lot of tax credit appetite. So uh, started looking at bringing them into deals in the solar space and being able to bring tax equity into projects. As you probably know, uh, there's been a 30% solar federal, it's called the solar ITC investment tax credit. Today, that's a 26% credit. So if you build a million dollar project, you have 260,000 uh, roughly of of eligible tax credits on the federal level, that is set to step down to twenty two percent next year, and then eventually goes to ten percent indefinitely. Uh, so Bill saw an opportunity to go and develop solar projects with a tax credit investor, which has a lot of value in that if you have a tax credit investor at thirty percent or twenty six, and you've got debt, oftentimes very little sponsor equity is needed to finance a project. So uh, that definitely had a lot to do with Bill's 
sort of interest and desire and, and getting into the solar space, being able to really use Elite, you know, as sort of that horsepower and that that trusted, uh, experienced contractor to be able to build the projects. Now, what ended up happening was we ended up Elite works on really really big projects, so we actually haven't done a whole lot of of work where we're actually contracting Elite uh, because. I mean, they're, they're building now, I mean, they're bidding on some 50 and 60 and 70 megawatt projects just purely on the, the electrical and install side of things. So we ended up really kind of finding our sweet spot in the solar space with smaller, uh, you know, C&I, commercial industrial, we call it, uh, but also smaller municipal uh, projects and school districts. Uh, and we also found that you know, most of our projects were sort of out of the reach from a geographical standpoint of Elite. So, so we have a network of electrical contractors that we use, a lot of which come from Bill's, uh, you know, days as an EC rolling up those companies. Um, but we have a network of electrical contractors that we use across the country, not just for solar installs, but for anything, uh, air quality, you know, um, LED lighting, we have some great mechanical, regional mechanical contractors that we partner with. So uh, we we really do our kind of pride ourselves on finding the contractor and the solution that's best for the customer uh, and that brings the most value wherever they may be. Hey, David, uh, as you know, before this call, we talked about one of the reasons we wanted to start the podcast was to bring educational value to our listeners. Okay. So you know, through the last 15 minutes here, you brought up the term ESCO. For our listeners that don't really know what that term means, even though they yes. hear it from time to time, could you please give them a brief definition of ESCO? Absolutely. ESCO quite simply stands for Energy Services Company. So uh, I have gotten probably in the not so good habit, Mike, of, of just throwing that term out there. I appreciate you you asking for clarification on that. So that's okay. Um, Everybody does that. <laughs> yeah. So so ESCOs again, um, some of the biggest and, and baddest that come to mind are Johnson Controls has a ph- phenomenal energy services uh, platform, and they're they're one of the leading energy services companies or ESCOs in the country. And a lot of these ESCOs were born sort of back in the 80s when, when um, municipalities and public entities started rolling out these contracting vehicles called performance contracts. And those basically said that if I'm a military base or I'm a public municipality, I can contract, uh, let's say it's $10 million with Johnson Controls. And I don't have to go and put every single scope of work out to bid. I can just let Johnson Controls, as long as they guarantee and monitor and verify that they are saving me more money than they're charging me, then we can directly procure however much you know scope with them that we want. Now, there has to be an energy savings component. So, you know, it'd be hard to go and do a performance contract where you said, we're going to replace 40 roofs and, you know, you're going to save $5 a year and it's going to cost $130 million. Uh, That that would be difficult. There has to be an energy savings component there. And most importantly, the energy services company is responsible for showing the end user, hey, we came in, we did this work, here's what you're saving Here's what you're paying us. And ultimately you have a cash flow positive situation where the idea was that these municipalities and, and government entities could go and do a lot of work a lot more efficiently by being able to contract with one source and yeah, not have to shell out all the capital. Right. Exactly. Right. And that's similar to the story of the municipality we're work, currently working on with you guys, whereas we believe we can build the microgrid cheaper than the power that they're spending now. And because we can beat that cost of power, we're not having to go to an RFP. So it's a similar kind of That's story. That's exactly there, right? right. 
Exactly yeah, right. Good. And generally, I mean, everybody's different, but generally these public entities, they don't like going to RFP. It, it's costly for them. It's time consuming for them. Um, they want to know that they have a, a qualified partner that they can trust. And, uh, and they don't ha- want to have to become the expert on, you know, the polycarbonate roof layer versus the, I mean, you, you know, they're, they're, these projects get really complex and there's so many different layers to them. Uh, they just want to know that they have a good trusted partner. They're going to save money. They're going to get what they bargained for um, and, and let us be the experts. Yeah. You know, that plays right into, you know, why I started e-renewable because those RFPs are so cumbersome. They take so long, especially if it's an aggregated RFP for a PPA, our auctions could expedite it, can bring efficiency into the pricing mechanism and, uh, the transparency is everything the municipalities and commercial industrial people want to see. So that's exactly Absolutely. why we formed ourselves. So just for that reason there too. So very interesting how it all parallels each other. Absolutely. Yeah. You have a really, really interesting platform and, and tool for people to use. And, uh, and I think it goes without saying we're, we're very happy to be partnered with you and, and helping you identify and execute opportunities across the country. Well, we're, we're, we're pleased to be with uh, Biostar also, let me tell you. Fred, what do you think? Appreciate that layup, Mike, because uh, that's actually the perfect segue. You guys are doing solar. You guys are doing energy services, uh, you know, born from an electrical, uh, electrical contractor from, from way back when. Um, you guys continuously reinvent yourselves. You guys are, are carving out a market there in the Midwest that uh, may not be as susceptible or may not be as user-friendly, but you guys are making it work regardless uh, with your reach across the country. A, what have you guys learned through this process? And B, what's next for Biostar in 2020 and 2020 and beyond? Sure. I think, you know, probably the biggest joy of my job is really learning about a lot of different types of businesses and, and what, what different businesses struggle with. Uh, I've never found a business owner who doesn't want to be environmentally conscious, who doesn't want to adopt renewable energy, who just wants to buy coal power, you know, for the rest of their life. That, that doesn't exist, but people, they want to do it responsibly uh, they want to be conscious of spending money, particularly in today's climate. So I, I think the biggest thing I've learned is that uh, not one solution fits all. And that's probably why we're doing so many different things. Um, you know, what's really interesting is um, we, we, make a, we make different margins in different businesses, but we really, uh, we really want to position ourselves as long-term partners for companies. And that's why to me in particular, the energy services platform is so important because there will be a day when people in Kansas and Missouri are ready to adopt solar and battery storage. And my goal is to be, you know, a trusted partner for a lot of these organizations in the Midwest as that continues to happen. So um, as far as what's next for us, I think that you know, the fruits of our, our labor in the energy services world and, and building trusted partnerships across the country is going to pay dividends as more and more of these renewable technologies, uh, you know, become applicable to commercial and industrial businesses across the country. Um, I will say, though, perhaps the most exciting part of our business right now is uh, our renewable natural gas development and our organic fertilizer development. We have some amazing projects in the queue. We're actually uh, finishing, kind of turning the last bolts, if you will, on our fertilizer facility in San Bernardino, California. Um, the renewable natural, or the, the, excuse me, the digester part of that facility uh, was completed several months ago. The uh, we have a contract that is taking food waste from haulers that is diverted from landfills, and the food waste is being diverted from landfills, dumped into this big digester. Uh, all of that methane being captured in there creates a, a renewable gas, which in this case we're actually converting to electricity because of what's called the low carbon fuel standard market in California. Um, 
And, and that might be a topic for, uh, you, you might have to have me back, Mike and Fred, to, I was just thinking to dive that. into that yeah. one. <laughs> but, uh, but that's really interesting. So we're actually taking waste, creating gas, turning it into to, uh, electricity, and then we've bolted on our fertilizer fertilizer facility and water remediation facility to that. So we take the waste streams that come out of that digester. We create our organic fertilizer product, which there's a huge market for on the left coast. Uh, and we also create clean water. And so um, that is, you know, frankly, really, really an exciting growth opportunity for our business. It's a very niche business. And we feel that because of our ability to treat and clean water, we, we really have some secret sauce with respect to that. So if you know any uh, food processing businesses that have, you know, um, or, or have food waste that's high in nutrients, we want to talk to them because that project, if you think about solar, um, is sort of a utility scale project from the standpoint of, you know, we have a, a statewide contract to bring in all this waste and turn it into energy. And then ultimately that energy is going back onto the grid. Uh, what we're really, really excited about is in the solar world, sort of the equivalent of the behind the meter version of that, but on the gas and waste to energy side. So partnering with companies, uh, for example, that uh, a dairy farm, for example, or a, a meat processing company that has a lot of really, really rich, high nutrient waste. Uh, we can partner with those companies to save them energy behind the meter, return them clean water that they can either use in their process or discharge, and create our, our food grade organic liquid fertilizer. And so uh, that's really a win, win, win. And as those projects become more scalable, we, we expect a lot of growth. Are you guys the only ones doing that? Like that whole, What's that? Are, are you guys doing, are you guys right now the only uh, entity that can do everything you just said as far as the, uh, uh, taking the, the waste and turning it into water and then on the flip side of that, you know, putting power back on the grid? If you talk about the fertilizer, then I believe we absolutely are the only people doing that. There are a lot of renewable natural gas developers out there that are partnering with dairy farms right, and right, right. You know, waste plants alike, sort of like I mentioned. Um, but again, I think really the secret sauce that we have is the ability to deliver back clean water. Yeah. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, we're absolutely unique. And then when you bolt on the fertilizer process, which, you know, in, in the case of a dairy farmer, um, you know, A, they, they might use our fertilizer, but more importantly, we're leasing land from them. We're creating other revenue streams from them. We're eliminating the need to get rid of all their manure. And, and you can imagine the EPA has, has some pretty strict rules on how that all has to go. So we're gaining efficiencies for them, giving them clean water, which is, of course, valuable. Uh, and then we're able to, to typically pay them some sort of fee for, for, you know, whereas they used to have to pay to have the waste removed. Now yeah. we're paying them for the waste. So I think when you t bring in the fertilizer and the clean water component, um, I think if we're not the only one, we're, we're one of a, a small few. I was going to say you're, you're that, that island doesn't have a lot of people on it. That's for damn sure. So you guys are certainly, right. uh, you guys have certainly carved a niche there. So, uh, no, that's, I mean, that's phenomenal. That, that is really, and again, that's the part of, you know, I, and, and, you know, the one thing I've taken away from this conversation is, and, and I think we all kind of, well, I'm not going to speak genuinely generally here but i think one of the the, the the things about clean energy or renewables is that you get pigeonholed into thinking well it's only wind and solar right like those are your two i mean and obviously look, let's put, let me let's call it what it is those are the rock stars of, of renewable energy right but there's so yep. many other things that go into it and i think that's the one thing that i've been most impressed by with what you guys are doing over at biostar is it's not just i mean yes solar's part of it and yes uh, you know i'm sure you guys will delve into wind at some point but the fact that you guys have so many other variables and so many other things that you guys are getting your hands into that at the end of the day our renewable energy, our clean energy, and it, and and are reducing the carbon footprint for you know said said user. Yeah, you know the landfill waste is super interesting to me because um, we have a huge landfill waste issue in this country. Uh, most of the landfills are nearing full capacity, 
and it's incredibly difficult to get new landfills permitted. Uh, not a lot of people are really excited about digging a big old landfill in their backyard. And so that's a really big problem. And, and you're seeing where we've been shipping waste out of the country for, for a long time now. And other countries are, uh, you know, less and less uh, willing to accept that waste. And so we've got an issue and we have, I think the waste to energy side of things is, is really fascinating because it, it truly is solving a really, really important, not just issue in this country, but issue around the world. Well, it certainly is, and uh, like I said, you guys are doing a, a tremendous job there, and, and again, the uh, hey, the BioStar is certainly uh, on the right side of things as it pertains to clean and renewable energy, and I'm, I'm certainly excited about what you guys are doing, and uh, again, once this thing in, in uh, California really gets up and running, we definitely need to talk on the other side of 2021 to see how things are going and kind of what else is in the hopper for you guys as well. Absolutely. And we didn't even get to uh, Kansas or Indiana basketball today. So, so I hope you'll have me back. And uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to come on and hang out with you guys. And uh, we also at Biostar have released a new podcast yes. called Renewables. And uh, we're really, really excited about it. We're going to have Mike on here uh, pretty quickly. So for your listeners who are interested and uh, in hearing things from sort of Mike's side of the equation, I know you guys did a, you did a great episode with him in episode one, but we're really looking forward to having you on the podcast, Mike. And um, and I just really appreciate the time to to come on here and blab today. Well, our pleasure, and I look forward to talking to you again on that. Sounds great. And Dave, so, real quick, tell the folks at home where they can find uh, the Renewables podcast. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We are. Very shortly, actually, with some inspiration from Fred, uh, going to be available on Spotify, Apple Music, as well as the Google Play Store. Uh, but we, right now, you can find, if you go to YouTube and type in Biostar Renewables, we have a channel on there. Please subscribe. Uh, we're releasing typically two to three episodes per month. We've had some great people from around the industry on. Uh, you can also visit BiostarRenewables.com. And check out our resource library where they're all posted as well. And uh, by the end of this week, you will be able to find us on Spotify or Apple Music as well. Love it. Love it. That's what I'm talking about right there. Uh, that's just that's just folks helping folks. That's just Midwesterners helping Midwesterners right there. Uh, that's right. That's all that boils down to. And I figured there was really not much to get into when it came to KU and Indiana basketball. Uh, yeah, just, it's, it's, a simple, it's a simple conversation. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, mean, uh, I, didn't, my, I, I didn't want to delve too much into it, but hey, <laughs> but hey, my first two years of, at Indiana, I was uh, we were two and I think we won like four games in two years. So I remained a very loyal Jayhawks fan, and it was actually pretty funny because my whole entire fraternity practically became KU basketball fans because there was nothing to cheer for uh, in Bloomington. So was that the Mike? So Davis we were. Era? Uh, that was actually the very beginning of Tom Crean oh, coming off the Kelvin oh. Sampson violations. We weren't allowed to sign any recruits. We had uh, the manager shooting threes. I mean, it was it was a, a sad time in the program's history. They've come back a little <laughs> bit, but but nowhere near the dominance that our Jayhawks had. Well, you know, we can summarize it all by just simply saying Bill Self. Right? <laughs> That's right. That's right. That never hurts. That <laughs> never, ever hurts. Uh, real right. quick, uh, where are you guys on the social uh, media platforms these days? Yeah, we're on LinkedIn, Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram. We've got them all. Biostar Renewables. Okay. Uh, we're pretty easy to find. Perfect. There aren't a lot of bio stars out there. What so. about you? Where, where, can I find, where can I find David Smart on the old, uh, if I want to see what he's tweeting tweeting up to lately? You know, my tweets are a little bit slow. I'm more of an Instagram guy. Are you but, an IG? Uh, you know, I would my, not have seen that coming. I did not see that Most of my Instagrams are, uh, are German Shepherds and, uh, you know, date nights with my wife. So I don't know that your viewers will get a whole heck of a, a kick out of that. Who knows? As much information as you just spewed in the last 35, 40 minutes, I figured your tweets had to be littered with good information. 
Well, I better get back on Twitter. Then. I, I, <laughs> unfortunately, most of my tweets are from my college days. And if I gave you my handle, uh, all your viewers and listeners <laughs> might have a lot of dirt. I better go clean up my That's feet. Right. You better go scrub <laughs> your Twitter. Uh, in between right. now. You're losing credibility there. Yeah. <laughs> Dave, great stuff from you as always, my man. It has been an absolute uh, treat having you on here. I know Mike and I have certainly taken away a lot uh, from everything you had to say, and I hope our listeners, I know our, our listeners certainly have as well. So thank you once again, and uh, like I said, definitely looking forward to you having Mike on. We will certainly promote the heck out of that as well. And then uh, let's do this again in the next four, five, six months uh, when we get a little, you know, kind of get this corona out of our system and uh, get a healthy start on 2021. That sounds great. Thanks again, Fred. Thank you, Mike. Thanks a lot. Once again, a huge thank you to David Smart from Biostar Renewables over there in the Kansas City area. Mike, it was nice to have somebody. Like I said, we've had folks from uh, all parts of the country. It was nice to get back uh, into the Midwest, and uh, Dave certainly uh, enlightened us a lot because, again, we've talked to a lot of folks that have dealt with, uh, you know, deregulated states, but uh, this was the first time we really had a chance to get kind of a, a 101 on what's going on or what are some of the challenges when dealing with regulated states. No, I'm just glad uh, we were able to bring David on today. He provided some information to our listeners that we've not brought to them before. And as everybody knows, we try to educate everybody on every one of our podcasts. And David, you did a great job doing that today. Don't hesitate to go to Biostar's website. And then also don't hesitate to go listen to David on his YouTube channel uh, for his podcast that he's posted on there called Renewable. Thank you. More than happy to do it. And uh, I look forward to future conversations. Really appreciate the time, guys. Thank you, sir. That website, again, is biostarrenewables.com. That's biostarrenewables.com. Everybody, make sure you check out the Green Insider Podcast. This has been episode number eight. You can check all of the podcasts out at uh, Apple iTunes as well as Google and, of course, on Spotify as well. And check out the brand-new revamped website. Very excited about that. Great work from our folks uh, over there at Marketing Matter Solutions. Done a great job with getting the website revamped. Mike, I know you've had a chance to look at it. I have as well, and we're very excited about the new changes and just the more just a more user-friendly platform than what we had before. And aesthetically, it's just a little more appeasing to the eye, Mr. Mike Niemer, which we're certainly uh, glad about as well. Uh, if you go check out the uh, podcast on iTunes, make sure you give us a five-star rating. Why? Because I promise you, you learn more about renewable energy after you got done listening than before you started. So give us that five-star rating. After all, you'll be glad you did. For the one, the only Mike Niemer, I am still Fred Davis. Thank you so much. This has been the Green Insider Podcast presented by E-Renewable. E-Renewable, where we make going green a whole heck of a lot easier. Good night. God bless.